Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome into the DMVR Buffs podcast presented by the Colorado XOs. I'm Henry Chisholm. We've got Ben Girding here today, and we're going to be talking about these basketball games uh, that are coming up on Thursday in the Pac-12, but specifically the Buffs, who take on Oregon at 9 o'clock on ESPN2. Is that right, Ben? Do you know? Yes, he yes, is nodding. Uh, we love nodding on the audio-only <laughs> podcast. Um, before we get into all of that, uh, we're going to say just a couple more words about the Colorado XOs. So the Colorado XOs are a rugby team. They are right here in Colorado at Infinity Park in Glendale, basically, what, like 10 minutes away from the front door of my apartment. Um, what they're doing right there is really cool. They're bringing in a whole bunch of athletes who played soccer or football or basketball or a whole bunch of different sports, and they're teaching them rugby with the hopes of getting them to play on the U.S. national team, which also trains at Infinity Park in Glendale. It's a cool concept, and uh, we're going to be following along, and hopefully you do too with the DMVR Rugby podcast, all the written content on the website, the DMVR Rugby Twitter account. Um, Our guy Colton Strickler is doing an awesome job, so make sure that you're paying attention. All right. Um, let's just jump straight in. Uh, last time we talked was after the, uh, terrible, terrible thing that happened over the weekend. Um, how, how have you recovered, Ben? Do you, do you feel like you've bounced back emotionally from Colorado's loss to Cal? Yeah. You know, I, I think our, our post-game podcast was pretty soothing as far as giving, given, you know, a, a platform to just exercise those demons and, and get it all out there on the table. You know, now, now that a couple of days have passed, Colorado is still sitting pretty in their computer projections. They are still getting some, some decent attention from some national media as far as what seat they're going to end up as. And, you know, that's at this point, that's kind of all you can ask for. It, it's tough because winning the regular season Pac-12 title does seem a little bit out, out of grasp at this point. But again, that's only tough because they had a shot. Um, and at this point, even just a month ago, two months ago, you know, that seemed like a, a, a foregone conclusion that they'd be outside of the top four. Now they still obviously have a fighting chance. So it's all about perspective. Um, and, and the boss have another big test this week. Yep. It is all about perspective. And, you know, if we had come into the season or let's say a week before it all kicks off, um, we say, okay, throwing a poll out there, Colorado will not take first place in the PAC 12 this season what grade can they give them? And I would say like an A is still very much on the table. Yes. You know, when you're picked to be finished seventh, you've never finished top four in this conference. When you're in position to finish in the top four, to outperform where you were projected to finish by three spots, 
I don't know that that's an A, but it's certainly a B, right? Oh, absolutely. I, I, they're doing everything that nobody thought they could do, which, yeah. you know, even before the season, we thought seven was grossly underrated. Um, and you see just how bad those projections were with Arizona State being in the top four and <laughs> Arizona State is, a you know, it's a laughingstock. It's just reputation. Season, so. And we knew it was at the yeah. time. We knew that that was nonsense. Yep. And so now, you know, we're at the point where finishing in, in the top four is, is squarely on the shoulders of this team. You know, they can do that without having to worry about, you know, extraneous factors, which is great. You really, you know, as we talked about, I think on, on a couple of post games ago, control your own destiny. While it doesn't make any sense as a phrase necessarily, you know, the Buffs are in a great spot here where if they go out there and take care of business, just do what everybody knows they're capable of. Go out there, play your brand of basketball. You can finish this season top four. And, you know, who knows what happens in the conference tournament? I think, you know, go out there and, and win a couple games in that tournament in Vegas. I mean, this season's still shaping up to be one for the ages. Yeah, I, I, I hear, let me know if I'm crazy right now, because I do think that I'm going to put a, a fairly significant bet in on Colorado to win the Pac-12 tournament. How outlandish is that? I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know what to say. I wouldn't. Um, because just the nature of how wild conference tournaments usually are, you know? And so I think there's something to that, but at the same time, I, I do think that Colorado can stay with any team in this conference. You know, they've lost some tough games against conference opponents, but all of them have been relatively close. You know, they lost a four point game to Washington on a historically bad shooting night. They let Cal come, or I'm sorry. They let Utah come back from a big deficit. That's fluky. And then, Against Cal, they shot 20% again. So, so very bad shooting nights. Um, if you have even a mediocre night shooting, those games are either much closer or win. So they can hang par with any team in this conference. And that includes you lost by three to UCLA on the road. UCLA, too, is not necessarily playing their best basketball recently. Uh, you know, they lost to USC. They lost to Washington State. They've lost to Stanford. So they're two and three in their last five games. Um, and, and they've still got some tough ones left. They play Arizona. They have to play Colorado and USC. So they've still got some tough games coming up. They might be a little bit more beaten down than, than normal. They're certainly not as hot as they were this time last year. Colorado really can compete with a lot of these teams. And, of course, they've already beat USC. So mm -hmm. this is going to be a big test this week going on the road to the Pacific Northwest. But they can do it. As where this team stands right now, they can still do it and, and kind of shock the West Coast would not bet against them. But, you know, with that being said, I, I still don't think I'd bet on them. But that's just because my unit is, you know, it, it's different than your betting units. <laughs> yeah. And what, what I really like, though, is that Colorado's 4-1 and one against the top five teams in the conference as of now. And that is going to change tomorrow. Whether it changes to 5-1 and one or 4-2, and two, I don't really know. But we're going to see. Meanwhile, the one loss was against UCLA. What is UCLA's best win to this point i guess they won at arizona that's a good win but outside of that what an overtime i mean probably against colorado is what it'd be because they they've had both of their games against oregon canceled they lost their game against usc um i believe have they only played stanford once i know that they lost to stanford once um and and that's the team that colorado hasn't beaten 
And I really think that when it comes down to it, once, you know, the, the season's over and they put out the bracket and everybody starts making their picks, I think Colorado is going to get undervalued. And who knows? Maybe I'm wrong and people have come around and have realized that Colorado is good. I, I will be skeptical of that happening. And I think that there will be some decent value there. Um, but before we get to that point, Colorado needs to win some more games. Um, as it stands now, like we said, they're trying to finish top four. They're sitting in fourth place right now. They're actually two games back of first place, while the Oregon Ducks, who are in third place right now, are two and a half games back. It's a weird thing in the schedule or in the standings right now because Colorado's 10 and five. Oregon's played 10 games and they're seven and three. And so that, that disbalance makes things just very difficult. Um, you really have to pay attention to the win percentages. Oregon right now at uh, 700, Colorado at 667. I believe Oregon would go down to like 63 if they lose to Colorado and Colorado wouldn't get up to like 700, but they'd be like 68 or something. It's just so weird watching these standings change because everybody's played different numbers of games. The point of all that though, is that if Colorado does beat Oregon, they're going to be in good shape. Then all of a sudden you're, you go from a half game in front of them to a game and a half. And again, you could wind up a, a game in front and still behind in the standings, but you have that tiebreaker, which I guess really isn't all that likely to come into play given the number of games these two teams will play it's that that's not going to matter at all. Now that I think it's so difficult to get the math percentage to add up for the amount of games that each of these teams have played. But yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you outlined it perfectly. Oregon is in a, you know, they're, they're in a good spot because they just, you know, they've been able to dodge some opponents for lack of a better term, you know, yeah. they've had their UCLA game postponed three times games against Arizona postponed games against USC postponed. I'm sorry. UCLA game has been postponed four times. Four times a season, they haven't had to play one of the best teams in the conference. And mm-hmm. so that's obviously going to help boost your standard because also there's not a whole lot of holes where Oregon can fill these in and reschedule games. So Oregon might be going into the Pac-12 tournament as a three seed without playing USC, UCLA, you know, only playing Stanford once. I think and- they did play USC. I think they lost to USC. Did they? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I might be wrong, but either way, really. I, I think you are wrong. Am I wrong? But I think so. Okay. Just scrolling through the schedule. But look, the, 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 the point of that is, though, that the Ducks are kind of in a similar boat as UCLA because they just don't have those quality wins. And when you look at and in the second segment, we're going to dive into looking at all the bracket prediction, predictions. That's why Oregon and UCLA have great records, but they're not projected to be too high of seeds because really they haven't beat anybody, which is interesting considering they're from a power five conference. But, you know, this is a combination of things. This is a combination of the conference, you know, canceling the season until January 1st, only to switch it back in a month. But during that month, the conference lost a lot of big time non-conference games, lose lose a lot of credibility in that way. Um, I figured out what it was. USC and Oregon were only supposed to play once this year. And that's why they only have one game that needs to be made up at this point. So they haven't. Played uh, okay. But, but still, I mean, they, they're, they have, they haven't played USC. They haven't played UCLA. None of those games are getting made up. They lost their one game to Colorado. Uh, they did beat Stanford. 
and they'll play both those teams again. But seriously, then the next team up is Arizona, who they've had one cancellation. So it, it is pretty crazy how they've gotten to this point. Yeah, and you look at the rest of Oregon's schedule. They did beat Arizona, and, and yes, that's a great win on the road. But now you play Colorado at home, Utah at home. You go at the Northern California schools, and then you, you finish at Oregon State. That is such an easy schedule for, for the Ducks. And, but if and you to lose to Stanford. Right. That's, then that's then the like Cardinal that's... can jump up and, and, and leapfrog you into fourth. I, I think Oregon is clearly better than Stanford, but I do think Oregon mm-hmm. is the fourth best team. I think Colorado, USC, and UCLA are better. The problem is, is Oregon could actually win out the schedule and could legitimately still have a path to first place in the conference just because of how little games they play. And to me, that's outrageous. That's atrocious that you can do that without even having to play the LA schools. But regardless of that fact, Oregon is still a good team. And they just got, after their COVID postponement, they got Will Richardson back in the starting lineup. He had been hurt the entire beginning of the season. So now he's coming up, starting just four games this season now, and he's already averaging, you know, 12 points, a couple of rebounds, a couple of assists. Their starting lineup is very good now. You know, now that you get Will Richardson back, that kind of completes that piece because you've already, you know, everybody knows about Chris Duarte. But Eugene Amaru, or, oh, God, these last names, they always get me. Um, Amaruyi, so sorry, Eugene. I'm going to refer to you as Eugene from here on out. He's also averaging 17 points per game. Those two guys are really helping carry this offense. But then, again, with Real Richardson coming off the bench now, the Ducks just have a lot of weapons, a lot of ways that they can beat you. So although they're untested and although the computer metrics don't like them because they just don't have that much on their, you know, as, as a sample size, they are still dangerous and getting a win in Oregon is going to be very tough. It is going to be tough, but Oregon is in a really weird place where they are certainly alive for the first place in the PAC 12. It'd be a weird route and it'd take a lot of thinking to figure out what exactly it would take because they won't have as many wins as the teams will have the same number of losses. Um, but even though they still have that path, you, you certainly understand why uh, like the net rankings, for example, would not like this team because they just haven't beaten anybody, anybody like they beat in Eastern Washington. They beat in Seton hall. They beat in Florida, A&M Washington, like just nobody who is any good except for Stanford um, all year and, and Arizona forgot about Arizona. Uh, but if you go back and you lose to Stanford and you lose to Colorado in this closing stretch, your resume is terrible. And and I yeah. don't know really how you look at that and maybe even put them in the tournament, if I'm being totally honest. No, I, I they right now they are in a they are in a must win out, you know, situation just because of that fact. Because even a win against Colorado at home is a good win, but that's still not anything to write home about because mm-hmm. you split the series with the Buffs. Sweeping Stanford at this point, Stanford's projected pretty much as the last four in or last four out on the majority of brackets. They are in mm-hmm. a very precarious spot themselves. So, you're, I mean, you're completely right. The Pac-12 right now is a conference that could see five teams go or it could really see three and the problem is, is for Colorado to really boost its standing, it might mean Oregon doesn't make the tournament, which 
you know, for bus fans, you don't care if Oregon is in the tournament or not. But mm-hmm. from looking at it from a Pac-12 perspective and trying to get, you know, recruits out to the West Coast, it's a tough look to be a Power 5 school and only get three teams in. When teams like the Missouri Valley are probably going to get two teams in with Loyola, Chicago, and Drake. Yeah. Seriously. It's it's a weird place. And again, like, I don't think Buffs fans should be rooting for Oregon to win or anything like that. But it will have an impact next year. And not just in the recruiting, but also what people think of these teams um, when they play. You know, just because of the perspective that people have coming into the season saying, yeah, Colorado was, let's say they finished two and two and they're 12 and seven in conference last year. What's that really worth? You know, because who are they really playing? The difference between having three teams in and five teams in when you're having those sorts of conversations is just huge. And it's it's hard to imagine the effects right now, but that's they're out there. And, you know, it reminds me a lot of like the tanking conversation with the Broncos where it's like every, every year, it seems like now with like five weeks ago, people say, well, just throw in the towel, take the losses, just get the better draft pick. And you're like, well, yeah, it's, it's very easy to say that that draft pick is valuable because you can literally see it getting better. You can see the difference in value between a number 15 and a number seven pick. Right. But what you can't see is what it means to other free agents. And now you're in a situation where you want Deshaun Watson and you need Deshaun Watson to say, eh, I'm all right with Denver. Thank goodness you won a couple games down the stretch last year because there's no way he's saying, sure, we'll go with it if they win four games instead of six. And yeah. it's that sort of thing that's kind of at play here where it's just like, yeah, it doesn't, I don't know how it's going to matter that <laughs> the Pac-12 struggled again or that people don't think the Pac-12 is any good, but it's going to come up. And it'd be nice if the Pac-12 could get a couple more teams in, not at the sake of Colorado's record, though. Um, anything else we really need to cover here? Uh, I guess the only other real storyline um, to pay attention to is Stanford. As it stands right now, Colorado's 10 and five. Stanford is nine and six. So basically, if there's any day between now and the end of the season where Colorado loses a game and Stanford wins a game, those teams are tied in the, in the standings and Colorado has that tiebreaker. But if it happens again, that's where you say, see the flip Colorado has some tough games left, Oregon, uh, USC, UCLA, Stanford schedule the rest of the way. They play at Washington on Thursday. They play at Washington state. Then they're home against USC or no, no, they're actually on the road against USC. And then they're home against Oregon, and they close things out um, at home against Oregon State. So some challenges in there as well. Definitely the easier schedule. Um, Colorado's still the favorite, I think, to hold on to that four seed over Stanford, but it is something we're paying attention to. Yep, absolutely. And I think Buffs fans are big Washington fans this week. You know, have them take care of Stanford. Um, Washington State was able to upset UCLA last week, and that helped a lot. So, you know, just keep those Husky hats in the back pocket. You know, maybe the Cougars as well. They're able to get one or two wins, and you, and you feel great about that moving forward. Um, other than that, you're right. I mean, this is a this is a five-team race now. Um, really, it's USC's game to lose. They've only played seven games on the road, and they close out the season three and three, three at home, three on the road. So, USC gets a big advantage there as far as road games. They're going to play a few less than some other major teams. 
Um, and UCLA, again, two and three in their last five, go to the Arizona schools, go to the, you know, the mountain schools, and then finish up against USC. You know, I don't know who you're rooting for in, in these stretches, but you're just rooting for Arizona to sweep the LA schools, and that will really make it tight. But all this really comes down to, again, is Colorado just take care of business and you'll be fine. Colorado wins out. They're the clear-cut three seed. Could even be a two seed in this conference, depending on where the L.A. schools. Because if Colorado wins out, that's a loss against UCLA or USC. And then, you know, one of them are going to beat each other. That could be enough to get Colorado to the two-line. Maybe even the one-line if they pick up a couple other losses at, you know, at the Washington schools or if Arizona beats them both. So there is a path. Um, you know, we are about two, three weeks out uh, from the Pac-12 tournament, lots of action. And, you know, for the buffs, they have a week open at the very end of the schedule now. That Utah game that was supposed to be their, their ender, that got moved. They could try and schedule another game. And I don't know that they would. I don't know that they should, but it's a possibility. And if they do you know, that could be an opportunity where you pick up an extra win. And, and that could be a chance maybe if this team is 4-0 and they're hot and they say, you know what, we really want to be Pac-12 champs. You know, they pick up an extra game and who knows what happens. It's possible. Uh, that's good stuff. Um, we're going to come back and on the other side uh, talk just a little bit more about what the buffs need to improve upon so that they don't fall apart like they did against Cal. But first, uh have to say a couple quick words about Breckenridge Brewery. Um, we really love everything that Breckenridge Brewery does, and that's especially true right now because they just released a new seltzer, uh, their first seltzer. Um, they finally are introducing a seltzer line, and it comes in a beautiful Jokic 15-pack. Uh, they've got apple pear, uh, cherry, peach, berry, and honeydew head to the Breck brew or Breck beer locator and see where the closest 15 pack of Breck seltzers is to you and pick one up. Uh, the DMVR fam had them all weekend. They did not disappoint. Uh, make sure that when you go and pick these up to tag us and tag Breck and let us know what you think. Um, if you're not into seltzers, first of all, you're crazy. They're probably the best way to drink alcohol in my opinion. Um, but there's still all the incredible beers we've been telling you all about the juice drop IPA, uh, the Colorado core, so many great beers. And you can pick those up too. If you use the beer locator on Breckenridge Brewery's website, again, it's just all really good stuff. And I hope that you guys are checking that all out. Also, uh, time and time again, the one thing that has helped protect people against economic downturns has been an education that allows them to adapt into varying careers. So, why not take this time to go and build your toolbox at MSU Denver Online? MSU Denver Online puts a dynamic education at your fingertips without forcing you to decide between earning a degree and living your life. MSU Denver is the Colorado institution providing rigorous and affordable online programs taught by professors who bring the real world into the classroom. MSU Denver graduates use their relevant degrees to land coveted jobs, and some of our very own staff members at DMVR have taken classes with MSU Denver online, and they said that they had great experiences. Um, the professors were very responsive, uh, they cared about how you did in the class and wanted to help, um, and they had a whole bunch of connections because they actually work in the field that they instruct about, and that means that when you get your degree or finish the class or whatever, you have a little bit of a network already. 
If you want more information on the 40 plus online and hybrid programs that can get you a degree or the 700 plus classes that you can take on your path to a degree, or just because you're interested, you can go to msudenver.com slash online for all the details. All right. Um, so see you just to reiterate now that we are a few days separated from that game, what are the two or three problems that you want to see cleaned up on Thursday? Yeah. I, I mean, that's a million dollar question. Yeah. <laughs> the sure first thing that comes to mind is, you know, they just have to be more efficient on offense, 40% from the field, 20% from three and their bread and butter getting another charity stripe. Only 21 attempts for 71%. That's got to be in the 80s. That's where this team can capitalize is trying to get shooters to the line. What's so crazy about that is after the game, Tad was talking about it and said, like, we need to go to the line. He actually said, maybe it's time for me to start teaching these guys how to flop, uh, which why not? It's it's basketball in 2021. But another (laughs) thing he just noted when he said, like, we've got to make more of our three throws. He was like, you know, we still did beat the national average tonight, though. And it is pretty crazy to think that you can have a devastating night like the Buffs did at the free throw line. And because they're so good and the standards are just so high, they actually did better than most college basketball teams do. Yeah. Here's the, here's the figure that, to me, elaborates on my grand scheme of the world being against the Buffaloes. Oh, I like it. Trivia time. To quote my, uh, my, my <laughs> I, I really love listening to Matt Norlander, Gary Parrish from the CBS Eyes on College Basketball podcast. How many Buffaloes shot or attempted a free throw on Saturday night without looking? How many? Wow. That's a good question. So they took, what, 21 free throws. Nobody really got there consistently, which makes you think there had to have been like maybe f- five. Four. Ah, four people. It was McKinley Wright, Deshaun Shorts got there once, Evan Batty, and Jerry Horn. Conversely, on Cal, they had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. <laughs> I don't, I'm not one for conspiracy theories, but yeah. no, yeah. I, honestly, they need to be getting to the line more. You know, whether it is quote unquote flopping, whether it is just selling things a little bit better, I, you know. They, they can get there 25, 30 times, and I think everybody should be able to. I'd like to see more, you know, Eli Parquet because that shows he's driving to the basket. I'd like to see Dallas Walton get there. You know, he only played in 12 minutes, attempted five shots. I want five attempts from the free throw line from Walton because he is so big and has such a good free throw shot that getting into the paint and, and kind of, you know, not flailing around a bit, but really selling the contact because – the problem for big men is, is they're going to get less of a benefit of a doubt. You know, if they've got a six foot five guard on them, refs are going to let the guard get away with a lot more, but you just have to show how egregious that contact is and get yourself to the line. So that needs to be cleaned up offensive efficiency. This team needs to be in the seventies to eighties range. If they want to win consistently. And that's because, you know, this defense just is more hit or miss this season than it is normally. So They just have to figure out a way to knock down their shots. And the problem with that is it is so subjective to the night. You know, how their warm-ups were, how the team is feeling, how the vibes are. If McKinley, yeah, I mean, if McKinley Wright hits the first shot, you know, all that kind of stuff really does matter as far as 
setting the tone for what your shooting percentage is going to be for the remainder of the night. So it's a hard thing to pinpoint how they should go about fixing it. But if they don't, they're not going to beat Oregon. That's just the fact of the matter. And, you know, if I'm being totally honest, I think some of the issue just fixes itself. And I don't know, maybe maybe I'm being a little too optimistic here, but you're not going to see refs that bad every night. You know, like, like Colorado oh, deserve to be at the line more. They were blown call. Like if, if you can tell me that the refs were totally fair and even and all that, then I like, I don't even know what to, to say to that. Like we watched the goaltend that didn't get called where the ball was. I mean, it was, you said in it, there. I think it was like, pretty it, much in there. It was, you said it, like it was a goaltend in every way that a ball can be goaltended. And for that to get missed, like it's not the NBA that doesn't get reviewed. And so when they just blow that call, you live with it. You have to. And and there were plenty of missed calls and you don't want to spend too much time just saying like the refs were bad. But the truth is when you're the best free throw shooting team in the country, you are dependent on the refs to make the right calls. Um, if, if you're going to be at your very best and dry after the game basically said like, you know, it, we don't get to blow the whistles. We aren't in control that we control what we can control. And if we get free throws, we get free throws. And that's probably the right approach instead of saying, well, we're going to start screaming at the refs and flopping and all that. But I don't know. I don't know. When I, my honest opinion is that you're just not going to see refs that bad that often, but it feels like I say that so often that who, who honestly knows? Yeah. It, it, it is one of those things where, you know, this isn't an excuse for why Colorado lost, but we talked about it in that post-game show. That goaltend would have tied the game at 62. Colorado would have been able to set their defense instead of being in transition because half of their team was confused. And quite frankly, half of Cal's team was too, but the confusion led to Matt Bradley hitting a, a, a transition three, and that was pretty much the dagger because that was it's a five-point five lead. Swing. And that is just – it's a fluke. So, yes, was it a bad loss? Absolutely. Was it a game they should have won? For sure. But if you are going to sit there and say that the refs did not play a vital role in knocking down this team's just confidence in general, I, I would I would, I'd question if when the last time you played sports was, quite frankly, because I think everybody who's played sports has had a game that they can point back to where the referees were just so bad that throughout the course of the game, you truly believe nothing would go your way. And yep. at that point, if they miss a call that badly, everybody on this team is just going to say, oh, that's it. You know, there's nothing we can do. So, but that's, you know, honestly, that that's enough talk about the referees. Mm-hmm. I also want to talk about, you know, Deshaun Schwartz and McKinley Wright. And this is just an ex- a continuation of talking about hitting your open shots, but Deshaun Schwartz in his last two games on that Stanford road trip was one for 10 from three. His season percentage now from deep is 37%. He needs to be at 40% because that is really his bread and butter. He's not hitting the mid-range shots, and he has a tendency to really struggle finishing at the rim as well. So two of your three offensive assets are really, really hit or miss. You can't have all three. You need to start hitting your three-point shots. Yeah, and this is the same thing that happened to him last year too. You know, he was really hot for, again, I haven't thought this through too deeply, so I can't remember if it was most of the year or about half the year, but right around there, Deshaun's shot kind of fell off. And I remember 
back in the day when I went up to Boulder a few times a week and got to talk face to face with whoever I wanted. I remember talking to him like, what's it, what's it like going through this? You know, like it's gotta be frustrating. Right. And he's just like, I just need to see the ball go through the net. And once I see the ball go through the net, I feel like I'm good. But when you don't see the ball go through the net, then it doesn't really feel that way. And it's like, yeah, I'm sure that the same still applies now. And I, I don't know because we, we have seen him, kind of fall off and go through lengthy stretches where he's missing shots. And I feel like there, there's different types of shooters. Some that go through like this game I'm on the next game. I'm in a bit of a funk and then maybe it's another game of a funk, but then I'm on for a couple games. When it comes to the Sean, it does seem like it's more big picture where he'll, his shot will fall for a few weeks. And then for a week or two, it doesn't fall. And you're like, huh, what's going on? I do think that there's too much time left in this season for his shot not to come back. You know, obviously there's a lot that goes into that. Like, yeah, I spend time in the gym and blah, 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 all that. But I do think that at some point in the next three weeks before the conference tournament starts, we're going to get at least a couple good shooting games from Deshaun. And I've, if I had to bet, I'd guess that they come more toward the back end of that stretch which would be what you'd want, kind of leading into that conference tournament. But yeah, you do need him to be knocking down shots. You need more production from Ken. And Ken said the same thing. You said, you know, I'm every nobody's going to have great games every night. I I had I didn't play a good game tonight. I missed too many open shots. It's like, yeah, it, it really is that simple. And I trust in McKinley Wright to not miss open shots too often. You know, there will be nights like the night against Cal. And that sucks. But the truth is, like you said, you know, even though they didn't play their best, if not for the refs, they still probably get, get the win. And, and that's not uh, the excuse that you should make because you should have beaten Cal by 20. And in that case, the refs changing the game by five or 10 points or whatever it was, you know, it was five points on that one call, but yeah, it wouldn't matter. And I do think that Ken will, get himself going because I, I don't worry about him getting into a funk as much. It, it, he's played too much good basketball to, to, to have a bad game and then think, Oh no, I'm not gonna be able to make anything from within 15 feet of the basket. No, absolutely. And and you look at his season stat, uh, his season stats, 14 points per game, almost six assists, four rebounds. He is shooting 48% from the floor. That's fantastic. His turn assist to turnover percentage or ratio is about 2.5. You love that. There's one thing that Ken was doing very well in the beginning of the season. Trivia time. When was the last game that McKinley Wright hit a three-point shot? Oh, no. Oh, goodness. I think yeah. I might be about to say something very disrespectful to Mr. <laughs> Wright. Um, I mean, it's got it's been a few weeks, hasn't it? Yep. His last three-point shot was on February 6th against Arizona. He yeah. was one for three in that game. O for one against Oregon State. O for two against Stanford. O for two against Cal. His season percent from three has dipped to twenty nine percent. This is a guy who McKinley Wright's deep shot, I think, is the most need to see the ball go through the bucket than anybody else. Because the other thing is, if he doesn't hit that first one, he is so hesitant. Yeah, and then he just doesn't attempt one until late in the fourth. And at that point, you're just not in a rhythm. You know, 
you you really need to see that first shot go through, whether it's a pull-up transition three, whether it's an open step back, something that's kind of in rhythm uh, that, that gives him a chance to see the ball go through the hoop and get that confidence. Because in the games where he hits a three-point shot, you feel like you have a better chance to win because he's just got better confidence. And maybe even not even just hitting a shot, but hitting on a good clip. You know, one of two, one of three, that's his sweet spot. He doesn't need to be attempting a lot. Just one to give you that boost. Um, because then that makes defenses come out just a little bit further, opens up the lanes. But his shot percentage and three-point percentage are really directly correlated to when this team plays poorly. You know, just looking, three of 11 against Cal, obviously they lost that game. Five of 14 against Utah when Utah came back. And that was a game where, again, 19 points, they were up. And the offense was clicking, but Ken could not convert a layup or two at the end there that, that hurt him. Then you go back, you know, you look at Washington, 4 of 12. You look at um, Arizona, 4 of 12, the first time at Arizona. So there are a couple times where, where you can really point to his inability to convert severely hurt the team. And, you know, that's not rewriting the wheel, obviously, when your best player isn't hitting shots, that's going to hurt. Especially on this team. Yep, exactly. But that's just the point is Ken needs to be playing his best basketball in these last four games. Um, And he's absolutely capable. He's shown he's capable of carrying this team in the past. And carrying for McKinley Wright isn't dropping 20, 25 points. It is being able to score quickly and go get four points early in the game. And then being able to control the tempo and open up shooters and, and really fill the stat sheet with 15, five and five. That is a great spot for him to be in as far as getting everybody in this team involved. And if he gets to, you know, that stat line or close to it, then this team can compete. Yep. And you know, this we've known all year that the, the team kind of lives and dies by McKinley, right? And it's no surprise that when McKinley had a tough game, you know, he shot under 30% for the, third time all season they lost the game uh the other games i wonder if they won just out of curiosity yeah they beat washington state that was one of them um they beat utah that time um they'd be both times but yeah but i mean again it's just not a surprise that when mckinley wright doesn't play well they don't win and i think that some people kind of turn that into a diss on kin because they say well you know you you did need to play better. And if you did, they would have won. But again, you forget that there are so many games that he has won for this team and games against better opponents. Um, Games against Stanford, where he's put up a a, a bunch of points. Games against uh, USC, where he's been very efficient. And I hope that people don't get too lost in the moment and forget that, yes, you live and die by kin. And so far you've lost five games all season. And those were the deaths while you have won plenty of games with Ken. Yeah. And, and real quick, just when you look at the box score of Cal box score, excuse me, just to kind of tie a bow on what they need to do, you know, they need to stay out of foul trouble better. Um, And again, part of that is look, Eli Parquet was averaging going into this game under two personal fouls per game. And he fouled out. Eli Parquet does not foul you. He is a very good defender that's also smart. He doesn't get himself into positions where he has to foul. So the fact that he picked up five fouls in this game, I'm going to leave it at that. Evan Batty, though, four personal fouls. He just, you know, we talk about it 
damn near every week on one of these splits. And he had a great stretch where he was able to stay out of foul trouble. But in his last four games, three fouls against Arizona, three against Oregon State, three, four against Stanford, four against Cal, you just have to find ways to stay on the floor because when you're picking up, especially early on those fouls, it just hurts. You know, it hurts this team getting him under the, to the under 16 timeout without fouls really, I think is a strong indicator of how he's going to play. Yeah. Um, and, and he just needs to know that and he needs to not pick up stupid fouls um, because he does have a role to play in that. And, and although he's big and he's going to get some because of that, he also just needs to understand that and learn to play a little bit smarter because his value on offense on the block, as well as on the glass far exceeds a stupid foul, you know, just play him a little lighter, give him a layup if possible, rather than picking up the foul because it's just not worth it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I think that's a bunch of good stuff. Evan needs to not get into foul trouble. Everybody else needs to got, not get into foul trouble. Refs need to know what fouls look like. Ken needs to take shots regardless of whether they're going in or not. And I don't know what is what is going on. I'm not sure if he came into this season saying, you know what, if I go 0 for 2, I'm not going to hurt my percentage anymore. I'm not sure if the coaches said something along those lines, but that is really what it looks like is if he just doesn't get one of the first two to go, he says, it's not my night and I'm not going to make things any worse, which is the wrong approach because he is too important to Colorado to not be taking more shots. And he shouldn't be going three straight games without making a three. And he certainly shouldn't be going three games and only taking five three pointers in a, that three game stretch. Um, I think that that pretty much covers everything though. Um before we get out of here, we want to run real quickly through uh, this story from uh, NCAA.com. It's their bracket predictions. Uh, Andy Katz, these came out yesterday. And just real briefly, we want to touch on these. But first, a quick word from one of my favorite partners. It's not quite time for the madness that is college basketball in March, but that doesn't mean the fun has to wait. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is giving all new players the chance to cash $100. New customers can bet $1 on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week, and if your team makes it rain, you cash $100. That's right. All it takes is for one three-pointer being hit by your chosen team to turn into $1 or turn $1 into $100. That sounds like a no-brainer. Um, if basketball isn't for you, DraftKings Sportsbook has daily odds on hockey, soccer, and so much more. And DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to its customers since 2012, so they know a thing or two about big paydays. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DMVR to get your shot to turn $1 into $100 when you bet on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week. That's promo code DNVR for new customers to get a shot at 100 to 1 odds on any basketball team to hit a three point shot. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, restrictions apply. Winnings paid out in four $25 free bets. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 522 4700. All right. So in Andy Katz's most recent bracketology, uh, not the one from last week, I believe, where he said that Colorado was not a tournament team. Maybe that, that must have been two weeks ago. Right? Yeah, two weeks. It had to have been two weeks. Um, here's what he has to say now. Uh, 
he has four teams from the Pac-12 in the field. He has USC leading the way as a five seed, UCLA and Colorado both as seven seeds, and Oregon as a nine seed. Uh, notably, Stanford is not included in this field, uh, and that's kind of the the big picture of what's going on according to Andy Katz. Ben, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, you know, I think that this bracket is fairly accurate. I think USC really is a four seed. Um, I, I think they at least have that ceiling at, at this point. You know, it it's so tough to talk brackets on February 17th. So everything is obviously it's, it's a combination of what they've done so far and, and what you think they'll finish as. I do think USC finishes as a four seed, but I do think Colorado is the second rated team out of this conference just based on the, how much the metrics love them, how much the net loves them. And also, you know, they do have some quality wins, wins that UCLA and Oregon just don't have for a variety of reasons. Um, I think Oregon is probably closer to a double-digit seed, um, I, I think, on the 11-12 area um, than, than I think this bracket assumes, just again, because of that sample size. And Andy Katz did not mention last four in or out. I would assume Stanford is on that last four outline. Um, and for the Cardinal, their margin of error continues to get less and less. I mean, realistically, they needed to win out starting a week and a half ago. And so each time that they lose another game, it's just, okay, well, they need to win out from here. And there's still truth to that. They need to keep you – know, they need to win out. Um, but even still now, it's at the point where even if they do win out, it's not clear if if that's going to be enough. I They're think going to have to make some noise in the Pac-12 tournament. Yep. And and so that's tough. It's, it's a tough spot to be in because also the most likely outcome here is Colorado and Stanford end up as a 4-5 seed, both of which would get buys and would play each other in that second round of the Pac-12 tournament. You feel great about that, knowing what Colorado has done to Stanford in the past. Um, but for Stanford – that is going to be a tough draw because either you get that first round by or you're, you're still playing, you know, some top teams. So they, they just have to really play the best basketball they can. I think they have a benefit with Oscar De Silva is going to be a name that, that garners some attention. Um, it's not like it's a team with nobody on it. So that is going to help them out. I would have them in the field um, just because I think the Pac-12 deserves five teams from what you've seen from them this season, but it's very, very close. Yeah. I think that I pretty much agree with all that. Um, the one thing that I want to go back to, though, is that 4-5 matchup. Um, you say that you really like the idea of playing Stanford uh, in the 4-5 game. How how does that compare to taking the three seed from Oregon? And then I think at this point you'd be playing the winner of Utah and Cal. Oh, you – I mean <sighs> – you know, actually, I know it's a, it's a conversation. It it really is. I think you take the highest seed possible. Yeah. Because I think that ultimately winning the Pac-12 tournament, you would have to win the Pac-12 tournament to bump you up a seed. And I don't think losing a game in the tournament will drop you a seed. So, for example, if they are three seed in the Pac-12 tournament, let's say Colorado makes it up to the sixth seed in the NCAA tournament because they won it, you know. I don't think a loss drops them to a seven. I just don't. If you win the entire tournament, that's when you probably get up into the five conversation. But winning one game, you know, I don't know that it matters all that much. So I do think you absolutely unquivocally take the higher seed. 
But as far as which team I'm more comfortable playing in Vegas, I absolutely say Stanford. They destroyed them at home and on the road. They just match up really well. So, you know, I mean, it does kind of depend. Um, but that is something that bus fans, you know, hearing that can take some pride in and know that, you know, as long as we just finish top four, we're going to be okay. And, yep. and Cal or Utah, they don't really concern me in different in, in as a whole. But the problem is, is they just have two guys that have single-handedly beaten the bus. Cal has Matt Bradley, Utah, and, you know, Alfonso Plummer, he was the whole reason they came back. So those are two guys that scare me because Colorado has a tendency to kind of struggle against one star. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that definitely is something to consider. And you remember what happened last year in the tournament when Colorado CJ did L- have to play that first day and CJ Ellaby was breaking all of Clay Thompson's records. Oh. It's, it's terrible. Um, I, I do think that there is something to playing a team that you play before, but what's so crazy is when you look at the buffs results, again, we touched on this earlier, they played well against the good teams. And it is, I mean, maybe this is a good way to just close this out. Just to remember that not only have they beaten all the top teams in the conference, except for UCLA, just listen to these scores. You know, let's start with that loss to UCLA where they were on the road at UCLA and the buffs lost 65 to 62. And that is their one loss against top five teams in the PAC 12. As of today, Um, they beat USC 72 to 62. That's a 10 point win on the road. Um, They beat Cal 77, 64, a 13 point win at home, and then had an 18 point win on the road. Um, against uh oregon you won 79 72 like these these aren't like squeaking out wins especially those stanford games colorado's playing good against good teams they're playing bad against bad teams and it really is that simple um do you have any other notes either from the bracket or anything else before we get out of here ben no just i mean one one quick thing looking at teamrankings.com which which is just like a probability machine colorado 98% chance at this point to earn a bid um projected finish is going to be 19 and 8 for them according to that website which i, I think you feel great about um whether that means you i mean i'm pretty sure that means you go 3 and 1 and the rest of the season and lose in the first round of the tournament i, I still think you feel great about a 19 and 8 finish uh, and they have them projected as a 7 seed as well so Seven seed is, is pretty much the buzz. I, I believe going through 196 different of the major brackets, uh, the average is 7.1 as their seed. So, you know, we, we've been talking for weeks. Their ceiling is a five. Their floor is a 10. You feel great about that seventh spot? You know, Andy Katz had them playing Drake in the first round, and then you move on to Illinois. As far as draws go for a seven seed, not the worst. Not the worst. Yeah. So definitely reason for optimism right now. Also, uh, they have Stanford as an 86% chance to make the tournament. Um, we have them firmly on the bubble. I think you said you have them inside. Cats has them outside. Uh, that's that's a good sign for the Pac-12 right there, I guess. Best that they can do. <laughs> yep. What's crazy is they're at 86. UCLA is only at 91. Um, I don't know. Some fun Oregon's stuff. Oregon's only at 76, too. So, mm. But uh, the interesting thing, too, here is Colorado is tied with USC as far as just a 1% chance to win it all. So, yeah, there's it. So you're saying there's a chance. No, look, look, <laughs> you know, Buffs fans out there, just remember, this is the last season we go through with Larry Scott. We'll have a new regime as far as football and basketball next year. 
And I do think that that's going to play a role as far as this conference's credibility, because whoever comes in, they're going to have a lot of work to do, but you got to imagine that, that they'll be able to take some positive steps forward, learn from Larry Scott's mistakes. And at the very least you get a honeymoon phase. Uh, Just a honeymoon phase sounds so nice right now in the pac 12, just something overwhelmingly just positive hanging over the entire conference. I mean, what people turned on Larry Scott in like 2014, 2015 was when the shift happened from him being like, Oh, great, great commissioner. One of the best you could have to, Oh no, what's going on here. And I guess my understanding is nobody really saw it coming, but the good news is again, for the first time in that five, six years, there is just going to be this big positive, even if it's just a honeymoon phase figure hanging over the entire pack 12. And that certainly will bring benefits with it. Yep. Absolutely. All right. uh, We're going to get out of here. We're going to have a post game tomorrow uh after the game that's going to be probably a pretty quick one um because the game starts at nine like i mentioned earlier that means assuming no overtime which in a colorado oregon game maybe a bold assumption uh we'll get over around 11 we'll be on around 11 30 we'll be off around midnight or 12 30 or so probably so if you guys uh want to come hang it's going to be a lot of fun and then of course we'll be in the studio on saturday uh for uh the big show talking about all sorts of stuff as the buffs gear up for their final week of regular season basketball which is pretty crazy i think that's right around the corner um that's gonna do it for today and we will see you guys tomorrow night after the game i think they like my colorado swag because when i'm in it play i don't really i don't really know just how to act and when i'm in it go you know i'm acting bad See you later, baby. baby. Colorado Army with soldiers like the Navy. Yeah. And boat is where we station, patiently awaiting. When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave. Yeah. I'm Colorado swagging at the crowd, do the wave. Look into my eyes, I can tell that you afraid. Uh-huh. Cause you know we finna hit you. Hit you. Hit you. Hit you. Hey, hey. you on your own now. Why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope you make it to the next whistle. And we ain't playing with you, you can get it.
Get them thugs, get them bugs, mess them up, we say we got them. If we don't, then we'll get them. When we see them, then we have them. like my Colorado swag, cause when I'm in it, play. I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it, go, you know I'm acting bad. Holly, get a bus with my Colorado swag. My Colorado swag, my Colorado swag. I think they like, I think they like my Colorado swag. Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, man I swear I think they like my Colorado swag.